The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, we talk with Josie Kinney, Director of Business Development at Rugged Thread. We talk about how she got into repair, the impact of recent supply chain challenges on repair and e-commerce, and the bright future of repair. Welcome back, everyone. This is Chase, and joining me today is Josie Kinney, uh, the Director of Business Development at Rugged Thread um, up in Bend, Oregon. So thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited yeah. to chat with you and talk about repairs and kind of where the outdoor industry is going as a whole. Well, I'm glad that you reached out because it's super timely, especially with every all the supply chain issues that are all coming to a head right now. We're, we'll get into some of that, but uh, repair, e-commerce, like all of this is so relevant right now, which mm-hmm. I bet is exciting for the business that you're in. Um, yeah. Like the best, best time to be in this space, but maybe you can give just an introduction of a rugged thread to, to yeah. kick us off. Yeah. So rugged thread is really converting outdoor industry waste into a new economy. And I'll kind of unpack what that means, but basically every year there's 17 million tons of textile waste and it's, you know, it's hard to quantify what does that actually look like, but that's a garbage truck every single second, just in the U.S. alone. So tons of waste. And what we're doing is we're taking items that would normally have been thrown away just because of broken zipper, damaged buckle, torn stitching, and repairing it. Um, And we're really focused on the technical outdoor clothing and gear. So, you know, we will work on like jeans and casual wear here and there, but we're really focused on, you know, ski wear, Gore-Tex shells, down jackets, um, backpacks, tents, sleeping bags. Um, And so we're really just repairing items to keep them in use and out of the landfill. It's incredible. Like, uh, and just such a like admirable, like mission, such a needed mission, like, such a company, like a company that like needs to exist right now, unfortunately, but fortunately, if, if that makes sense, right. It's like, we, <laughs> yeah, shouldn't, have, we shouldn't have to face this problem, but we are. And so we need businesses like this and other organizations to unfortunately tackle these problems. Um, how did you get into this space? Like what led you into this world of repair? Yeah. So I, well, I went to university of Oregon and studied environmental studies and originally thought I was going to go into environmental law or some sort of policy. Um, I knew I wanted to be in the environmental space and conservation of some sort. Um, And I actually am from Bend originally. And so after college, I kind of bounced around and moved back to Bend for a little while and started working here at Rugged Thread kind of part-time and realized it actually really did align with that mission for me of, of 
doing something in the environmental realm to make the world a better place and kind of filled that filled that need for me. And I really liked being in Bend. I really liked working for this company. Um, and then there's a lot of, you know, we're a startup. And so I think that was also exciting to me, all of the, the growth trajectory for the company. And then for myself in this role has been exciting. How long has the company been around? Um, and like, what's been the trajectory of the, the company? So for you to go like part-time into full-time, it sounds like there's, there's a lot of the company's doing a lot of business has grown a lot. Um, like totally. what's the history of the company? Yeah. So the founder, the owner, um, her name's Kim. She started, uh, the business back in 2011, just out of her garage, one woman show. And she had originally back in the day, like in the early nineties, she owned the, um, like repair and tailor shop at Snowbird Ski Resort. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so she would make like custom ski suits for people there and do, you know, tailoring and repairs and stuff like that. So she owned that way back in the day, um, sold that kind of kept machines, but didn't really like have a business out of it. And so in 2011, she had, she still had all of these industrial sewing machines and there was just a need for it in Bend. You know, people are pretty outdoor oriented here. And so she started fixing gear for people in the local community and that just started to grow. And then in like, I think it was 2017, Patagonia launched their Warnware line and started doing the repair truck. And that kind of initiated this more national movement that repairs, there was a demand for repairs and people, people wanted that. And there was a, there was a market for it and there was value, like people would pay for it at a national level. And so that's when she decided to actually scale the business and make a, make a real business out of it, I guess. Um, and so did a capital raise, closed that in 2019. And now we're in a commercial space and, um, have a staff of seven. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's interesting. This idea that like repair isn't new, like people have been repairing product for a long time, but it took uh, a company like Patagonia that carries so much weight and influence to step up and say, Oh, we're going to offer repair and we're going to encourage our customers to repair the product that they already have to keep it in use longer um, to really move the rest of the industry forward and really validate this idea that, Oh, actually it's, it's kind of cool. And, and of course, responsible to like repair the product that you have. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think the outdoor industry has like always felt that, right. It's like these mm-hmm. scars on your clothing are like a badge of honor in a lot of ways and tell a story. Um, but Patagonia and now you and, and others are like taking that message to, to more people. Um, I guess who, who and, and for you, I, it sounds like the business started with like, onesie twosie like people coming to the company and having repairs done but now you partner with with companies is that right it is yeah and that's been really exciting too to see you know like in 2017 patagonia was really the first to launch that like lifetime warranty and a full-scale repair program and now like the momentum is going we're seeing more and more companies getting into this so we work with burton snowboards we do all of their national warranty um, True Gear, they're up in Portland. Um, Gossamer Gear, they're an ultralight backpacking company. Desant, North America. Um, Mission Workshop, they're kind of a not quite as like in the outdoor niche quite as much, but they're based in San Francisco, kind of like biking commuter. Where um, we do a couple um, international brands as well. Picture Organic, they're out of France. Oh yeah. Um, Montec Dope, they recently both launched in North America last year, and we're doing their national warranty program. Um, so yeah, we're really seeing like the ball rolling. And the other exciting thing is, I think originally a lot of brands were hesitant because they were like, "Oh, repair is going to be 
a hassle. It's going to be expensive. And one of our partners shared with us that last year they saved $171,000 just by doing repairs instead of replacing. Wow. Yeah. There's like, there's really a huge value there. And I I imagine for you in business development, right. It's nice to be able to go to a company and you don't have to do a lot of arm twisting. I imagine. I mean, there's some, but to be able to say, well, at the end of the day, this will save you money and, and like it or not, like so many of these companies, they have to respond to their bottom line, right. When it comes to repair and, you know, like beyond, you know, you can be like, and it's going to save you money, but it is also like, you know, keeps product to the land. Like there's so many other benefits. So it's nice to have that kind of that bottom line that you have to take into account as a business. Mm -hmm. It's nice to have that align with the other missions. Right. That, that's everything I've heard too, from a few companies that we partner with. And I know that you you've worked with in the past, they've said, this just makes sense because having mm-hmm. to issue a new product to someone it, it, that costs money, that's, that's, re- those are real dollars. So to be able to repair and, and, um, you know, keep, keep those products in use makes so much sense. Um, like what I, you know, for you, this must be a, like a fulfilling role to be in. I don't know. It's, it's hard to like come across a job where it's like you get paid, but also it's fulfilling and you get to feel like you're a part of something. Is that something that you, you feel like, do you feel like you go to work and feel like you're contributing (laughs) to something? I do. I feel, yeah, I feel very lucky in that way that, you know, I get to have that, like, yeah, I I feel fulfilled going to work that I'm contributing to something bigger. Um, And that's, that's really exciting. And something that we want to, you know, like as we grow as a company, that's something we want to continue for, everybody here. And then also grow that. So like, as we have more employees, there's, there's room for growth for people here in, in the company, if they want that. So we started cross-training all of our repair technicians, if they wanted to, to do other jobs in the company, whether that's account management. So working directly with brands to to do their warranty repairs or working kind of that front of house role where they're taking, working with customers. Cause we have a, a storefront, people can come in um, and people mail us items nationwide. So that's, you know, interacting with customers, doing item inspection. Um, there's a lot of like room for growth, I guess. So I feel that. And then I'm hoping that as we continue to grow, we're going to continue to grow the opportunities within the company for others to have that. Yeah, totally. That's, that's really exciting. Um, what, one of the things that I've I've thought about like when it comes to a repair business is, you know, I would think it would be really daunting um, knowing that, well, really not knowing what you're going to get every day, right? Like you get, you get these products that are damaged in some way, whether it's just uh, just an individual or a company sends you a batch of products that needs to be repaired. And every repair is different in a way, right? And I'm sure you start to see like, common things that fail or seams that fail in certain products in certain ways. But is, is that the case where like your, your team is having to kind of reinvent the wheel every time you get a new batch of products? And what are the challenges with that? You're like facing oh, new God, problems yeah. every day. It, it is it's so real, you know, like between you can have the same jacket from two different manufacturers, two different brands, similar jacket, but the way that they're designed can completely change how we have to repair it. So we're continuously doing like product development of how can we, you know, how can we do a zipper repair replacement differently so that it's more cost-effective, but has that same durability and aesthetic and quality. Um, But yeah, it's just, it varies so much between brands. And so one of the things we want to start to work with brands on is design for repairability 
mm-hmm. so that their designers are taking into account things like, you know, if you double glue lamb seams, it's really hard for us to get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the next, I think going to be the next step that we get into is design for repairability to take that into account in the very first phase of designing for product. Sure. Cause how much product do you see that is just, I mean, the majority of the product you probably <laughs> see isn't designed for that, or that's not being taken into account, or are you starting to see totally. more of that happening? Um, I think, I don't know that it's necessarily like a, a conscious thought of, oh, we'll design it this way f- because we're intending to get it repaired. Um, but I would say there are certain, you know, there are certain aspects that make it easier, but I wouldn't, I don't think that it's necessarily like a conscious decision to, um, but I'm hoping that we're going to see that more and more because that'll, that'll be really cool. Well, I think the insights that you're gathering as a company, I mean, that's so valuable. So I think it's, it's smart that that's the next director, like the new phase of the company is in addition to offering the repair, it's offering that consulting, uh, you know, taking Mm -hmm. that information that you've gathered from doing the repairs yourselves um, and then turning that into like information that these companies can use to make their products better or, you know, design Mm -hmm. them in a different way that they'll be stronger in certain areas or, you know, whatever it might be. I I think that's, that's really powerful. That, that information that you're gathering. And I think that kind of um, is already happening in like the hard goods space. You know, Mm -hmm. people will, certain brands will replace rivets that fail often with screws instead. So it's way easier to repair. Um, But I don't think that that's really happened in the soft goods space yet Mm -hmm. of taking taking that into consideration because repair facilities are pretty limited, especially, you know, there's, there's tailor shops and things repair, like you said, isn't new, but I think really technical repair is fairly new. Right. Well, one of the, the, one of the things you brought up uh, when you first reached out to me was like in this era that we are now with supply chain crunch, I mean, we're facing this right now at the port at, at all the ports, right? So like getting product into, into the country is really difficult right now. Um, I just, I'm curious your thoughts, like how that's influenced your business, because a lot of the product you're dealing with mm-hmm. is already here, right? And people right. are using it and then it's damaged and then it comes to you. Um, like, how do you feel like supply chain issues are impacting the repair business? Yeah, it's, it's, I don't it, like we're a very seasonal business. Winter is our busiest time. So I think we're already seeing an increase now as people are looking maybe to buy, you know, that's kind of projecting, but I think we, we definitely have seen an earlier increase. Usually we start to get really busy with winter gear in November. So I don't know if it's necessarily supply chain or, or what's going on, but I think that that is impacting individual customers as well as brands. Um, we're definitely seeing like re-commerce pick up. And I think that that's probably also, you know, impacted by supply chains being limited. More brands are like, oh, well, let's resell the product that's already here. That's made it um, and take back that market share. So that's definitely going to continue to be an interesting aspect. Um, I know a lot of brands have had issue getting product. Right. Can, can you talk a little bit about re-commerce for those who don't know? Like I, I know that term, but for, for listeners who might not know like what that space is, I, I think it's relatively new with, with companies like Patagonia really establishing it as something that's super viable or, or companies like Trove that are helping mm-hmm. facilitate um, you know, re- reselling of, of damaged products. But can you, can you share a little bit more about but that space? Cool. Yeah. So, well, re-commerce itself is basically the brands will either do a buyback program or resell, you know, factory seconds. 
And it takes back market share that would otherwise be resold by, you know, people on eBay, Facebook Marketplace, Poshmark, ThreadUp, those kind of like secondhand online stores. Um, and so it allows brands to kind of get into their own market share because their product, you know, high-end product gets resold, whether it's through that brand directly or through someone on Poshmark, ThreadUp, that kind of thing. So brands are getting into buying back their product, cleaning it, repairing it, and then reselling it online as like a secondary e-commerce site. So Patagonia, obviously, as you mentioned, was kind of first to get into that with Warnware. And then Arcteryx launched Rock Solid. Um, REI has Good and Used. Um, Levi's recently launched. Eileen Fisher, Taylor Stitch, even Nike. Um, so a lot of brands is kind of like rolling. Oh, Cotopaxi recently got in. Um, Nemo. Um, so we are kind of here and there working with some of those brands as they're getting into e-commerce to help them clean and repair their products before they're listed online for a secondary sale. What is so interesting to me about that is it like opens up this whole new market, like you said, like it's the brands pulling back in that market share. That's, that's, you know, um, you know, the, the thread ups and the depops and, you know, all the, you know, this, the secondhand, um, you know, marketplaces have, have been taking, I think, and then it, it, it like creates all these new opportunities. I think of, of Patagonia as their, their venture arm has been funding a company called Tersus solutions. Mm-hmm. That's like waterless cleaning, right. For, for, um, all of their damaged products that come back in, uh, you know, all this product has to be repaired or, or cleaned before it's repaired. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I really considered. And, and all of the jobs and opportunities that are created through kind of this growing re-commerce market is really interesting to me. I, I'm sure you're seeing yeah. that firsthand, like the opportunities that are developing because of this. Totally. I mean, it's a huge project, you know, beyond like the capital that it takes, like it's, you know, so much logistics, IT, software, jobs, um, and the CO2 cleaning, Tersus, that's really mm-hmm. interesting too, because that's, you know, waterless, really, they can clean really crazy things like oil stains out of jackets. And right. so there's just a lot of new industries or new, like, there's so much opportunity, I guess, within right. this. So like repair is one niche, but I think the whole, the whole outdoor industry is moving towards more circularity and like re-commerce is kind of one aspect of that as is like trove and cleaning and repairs. And so there's so much, so much new opportunity that's happening and new jobs that are being created as the outdoor industry shifts towards circularity. Right. You have to build out this whole new infrastructure, right? Because companies, yeah, they've, they've taken back returns in the past, but they've never given a gift card back or in-store credit. Uh So it's like this whole process of how do you gather all these products back to your stores or they're mailed back to you and then you're issued credit. And then, you know, that there's a whole infrastructure that's being built out right now. And it, and it feels Mm -hmm. like it's still super early days, which is exciting. It's, I think it's really in its infancy. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that kind of goes along with that is like, like individual, like the culture of repair or the Mm -hmm. idea of getting a repair um, is still fairly new. I think in the outdoor industry, people that are really in it, like you said, are excited to have a rip on their jacket because it means they used it. Um, but it's not necessarily, not everybody who has a broken zipper under warranty wants to get a repair. Some people are like, right. No, I don't, I don't want that. I want the new jacket. So I think that that's something that we've really seen shift in the past two, two, one or two years, really, I've seen much more of a value shift um, of people wanting to get a repair 
Um, and sometimes people even getting a repair when it is covered under warranty. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I don't want, I don't want the new product, but this brand won't, um, right. won't repair it. So I'm going to repair it. And that's kind of interesting. Totally. And, and I've noticed this with myself and, and certainly with our students. Um, but like there's, the, the value shift, right? Like mm-hmm. there's just such a difference in, in values, especially like Gen Z, we all know, right. Mm-hmm. We're always <laughs> hearing about Gen Z and, um, it's changing the world, but, um, you know, I, I think about it from my perspective, like I'm really proud when I like find a thrifted product at the mm-hmm. store and I'm like, Oh, that's a win. Like I didn't have to buy a new one. I just got it from someone who didn't need it anymore. And so like, I'm starting to put value on different things. And I think that's what, what's interesting is we're seeing people value different things and, and that's going to mm-hmm. take a while and it's going to take education. But I think, I think slowly, but surely we're getting there through the work that you're doing through the education that Patagonia, Arcteryx, like all these companies that are introducing mm-hmm. these programs. I think there's, they're starting to, to move people in that direction or, or get them to, to, to think a little bit differently. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I think inherently we think, Oh, this product's damaged. Like even when it's repaired, it, it still feels flawed, right? It's like, you know, it was damaged at some point. And so you start to question it. So let me just get a new one. And that's just been so ingrained in us, right? This idea of it's like, oh, well, I'll just get a new one, this disposable economy that we're a part of um, in a lot of ways. So I'm interested to see how those values continue to shift over time. Yeah, definitely. Me too. And I think, you know, there's some, some things point to like, maybe the, the values on are kind of already there. Like we're ready for Uh more of these companies to get on board because it was, I think it was back in 2018, um, the secondhand market was growing at 21 times the rate of traditional retail. Right. So that kind of shows that like people are excited about thrifting. They're excited, you know, they're yeah. looking for that deal. They don't necessarily want to buy new all the time. Yeah. Um, and then at like Patagonia, when they launched their Warnware line, they sold a million dollars in the first year of launching. Wow. So there's like, I think people are, are hungry for something different, like business as usual kind of has to change. And we all, we all know that. Um, but it's hard, like it's hard to not feel disempowered by it or that it's too big of an issue. And so I think when people see like, Oh, I can, I can make a difference or this will help that it's really inspiring and people are looking for that. Right. I like that idea that the values have already shifted, right? Like you're giving us as people more credit, <laughs> but like the values are there, like we, they've shifted. Now it's companies that are catching up in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. I like that. And and there's just, there's, there's a need for more companies that are offering this service, this service to customers. I, I like that approach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think about our students, like we have one in particular, she's started her own line of upcycled goods. Um hmm. And she just sold, sold quite a few of those, those products that she's upcycled and reinvented in in new ways. And, um, I think part of the appeal of that is like, everyone wants something that's unique, Uh right. Um, but is also connected to a brand. I, I interviewed Nicole McLaughlin, who is the upcycle master, of course, Mm -hmm. um, everyone knows. Um, and we talked about that, like this push and pull between like people who want to identify with a brand. Like, you know, people want to be affiliated with Patagonia, but they also want a product that's like very unique to them. Mm-hmm. And so like, up, it seems like upcycling or repair can provide that for people. It's like, oh, well, I have this Patagonia piece, but I wore it, I repaired it, or it got upcycled into something new that's unique to me. How much are you seeing that? Or like, how much are you getting into the upcycling space too? Because I know quite a few companies are doing that in addition to repair. They'll take some goods that are just beyond repair and then turn them into new products. Do you get into that space at all? 
Um, a little bit. Um, I guess the one thing I would say is I think it creates a story for a product, which is really cool. Like this product yeah. has an actual life. It's not just like mass manufactured. There's a story where it came right. from, how it got there. Um, but for us as Rugged Thread, we we're just, we're pretty focused on repair because the repair market is so huge and untapped yeah. at the moment. And we are continuously like training and hiring and really getting our quality standards, like making sure everybody's on board with the same quality standards. So we haven't gotten into repurposing and upcycling stuff yet, but it is something we've definitely talked about. And we have interests like internally, we have a couple employees that would love to start doing that. And so we're like, okay, how do we, you know, do we get a couple more cutting tables? Do we expand? How do we make that happen? If there's somebody here that really wants to do that, like let's, let's make it happen. Right. It's, it seems like that's a huge opportunity down the road. I mean, uh, again, uh, I always like to talk about Nicole and everything she's doing, like being Arcteryx's first design ambassador. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she's kind of that point person that's looking at their product that's beyond repair. And then, um, you know, upcycling uh, those items into like limited release type products that have a story, which I think is really interesting. And, and it's kind of a whole new area that I know our students are interested in. Some of them are already getting into that space, but, but I think companies are going to need people mm-hmm. like you know, or companies like rugged thread and people like you and, and designers, you know, from our program who are thinking that way of, okay, not only, you know, in, in repair, but how do I like upcycle this into something new um, and not give up on a product? I think that's where it's exciting because it takes a lot of collaboration. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. one solution can end textile waste in the outdoor industry. There's, it's going to take a lot of, you know, designing new materials, greener materials, upcycling, recycling facilities, like the whole thing. So it's really exciting because there's so much opportunity. And um, I think it's really cool what you guys are doing at um, Utah State with this particular program because there's so much the outdoor industry is shifting. And so you guys are kind of in that um, cutting edge yeah. Education. This is really cool. We, we hope so. Yeah, we, we think we are. <laughs> um, I, I like this idea. I, I don't know how relevant it is to this conversation, but I was talking with um, Abigail Stern, who started a company called Matech. It's like a base layer company. Okay. Um, and the work that she's doing is, is really, really incredible. But she talked about this idea of like ski wear and base layers as being something that, yeah, you, you, keep in a box. Um, and then when ski season, snowboard season comes around, like you pull it out and then you use Mm it. Um, but she's trying to create product that is something that you would want to wear year round. Like, why wouldn't you want to wear your base layers when you're at home? Yeah. Right. I'm actually wearing a a base layer right now. This is my ski base. Right. That's perfect. (laughs) So like this idea of like a circular closet. And I liked that, that idea of, you know, how do you use your products? more for uh, multiple purposes versus like having items that you just pull out once a year and then they Uh just sit around. And I don't know how relevant that is to this conversation, but I think it's part of this larger movement and value shift that people are having. I think so. And that made me think of too, like the upcycling and using your products more. Um, Both kind of made me think of product cost and Mm -hmm. wages. So like in Let's see. I was listening to a podcast with Paul Hawken. He's an environmentalist and author. And he calculated that back in the 1800s in England during like the textile revolution, workers were paid a penny an hour. Hmm. And in today's world, that equates to 30 cents an hour. And that's the average that text like garment workers are paid currently. So, you know, wages haven't changed. And 
we don't really take that into account of like, if you're actually, that's, what's been a big barrier for us to getting into upcycling is the margins are really tight. And so unless people are willing to pay for people to be paid living wages here in the U S that product is going to cost a lot more. Um, cause we, we don't pay 30 cents an hour and that's not what we're about. And so I think that that value system is also definitely shifting, but that it's a dicey one. It's a hard one. There's no easy solution for that. But I think that as we are creating product that's upcycled or however you want to, you know, product that's made here in the U S I think it's a conversation of cost. What is that value? You know, what are you paying for and why is it so, why is it expensive? Right. Has that been a challenge for you to find, um, like skilled workers? I mean, that like to yes. be able to sew and repair is an incredible skill. And I think in so many ways we've devalued that skill, right. Because of it's out yeah. of sight, out of mind, you know, manufactured yeah. overseas, you never see it. You never see like how technical it really is, how impressive, how highly skilled you have to be to do that work. Like mm-hmm. how, how, what challenges have you faced finding people with that skill set, um, and also being able to, to pay them what, what they really deserve. Yeah. Um, that's kind of our next, another thing that we're working on is changing the stigma of sewing as a career path. You know, it's not really taught in schools anymore, unless you're specifically in a design program. Um, and it's kind of something, like you said, that's out of sight, out of mind, and there's not really a lot of jobs in it. So why learn? And those jobs aren't usually well-paying. So we're really trying to change that. And to do so, we're creating a whole training program that you can come in with no sewing experience as an apprentice and be paid and work your way up to a journey person. And then to that mastery skill level. So we're building out like full documentation, video, written photos, that kind of thing, so that it can be like a full curriculum. Um, And we see that eventually becoming a federally certified like um, uh, apprenticeship program, kind of like going to a trade school, welding, electrical, plumbing, that kind of thing. So that's really where we see that going and and becoming kind of a co-op with other repair facilities as they grow. So maybe that's um, you know, Rainy Pass or Boulder Mountain or Patagonia, so that there's when people come out of this training program with us, they can have job opportunities that are well-paying and they're excited about and they know what they're getting into. So that's where our training program is going. Um, currently, yes, it is hard to find people that know how to sew. And even people that do know how to sew, I think that repair is a whole different ballgame because you're taking apart really technical product sometimes. And so you kind of need to know, you need to be an outdoor user, Hmm. know how, like, how is that backpack going to fit on you when you're hiking? How is that, you know, what's the intent of that jacket? Um, Because if you take it apart and you don't quite know how it's used and how to put it back together, it doesn't always work right. Um, So there's that aspect of it too, is it's like a puzzle and it's sewing and you need to know the gear. (laughs) Right. It's yeah. Like, Outdoor is particularly challenging, like you mentioned, because of the technical nature of it and and how it has to perform after it's Mm -hmm. done. Like I know in conversations that I've had before about repair, like the important thing is maintaining the integrity of the product. Exactly. Like it has to perform like it did before. Like what, what challenges are you facing? I mean, you mentioned that, um, you know, some of the challenges you face in that regard, but that, that means you have to get into things like teaching people how to use seam tape and, and welded mm-hmm. seams. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's different than just, you know, um, mending something on a sewing machine or hand stitching something. So like, 
there, there is yeah. an added level of training there. I think that is, that that's pretty unique. For sure. And like, if you come in with no sewing experience, which is also fine too, but the full training program usually takes like a year and a half to two years to really have that master quality of, you know, how to take apart all four seasons of outdoor clothing and gear, you know, what type of seam tape sticks on what fabrics there's, you know, there's all these little details that, that fall into it. So for us, like our main goal, as we're kind of building this repair, the value of repairs is anything that goes out the door has to be as good or better than it was originally manufactured Mm. because if it goes out and it fails, you know, cause we're shipping stuff to individuals all over the country and back to brands. And, um, if it fails, people may not say anything, but it changes how they perceive repairs. It'll be like, ah, you know, I might align with those values. I want to repair, but this is my highly technical gear that, you know, I'm taking out for a 21 day backpack trip and I can't have it fail. Right. So we don't, you know, we, our manufacturing is as good or better than it would be originally. And so, we've got a really stringent quality, you know, training process, not only, but also our quality control. So everything goes through a full quality inspection and make sure that it's put back together correctly. It's going to be as strong as the original, um, all those types of things. Aesthetically pleasing is also a factor. Right. Right. That's a huge challenge. And I can't imagine, you know, tackling those problems and I'm glad that you are and, and doing a great job at it too. But, um, I guess what, what, um, I mean, do you have any sewing experiences? Have you sat behind a sewing machine and, and jumped in on the line and worked on product too? Like, or, or do you appreciate it from afar? Oh man, I, I really want to learn how to sew. Um, I have, I've made a couple things. Um, I know how to sew on a home machine pretty well. And then these, cause we've got like technical industrial yeah. machines that yeah. are all computerized, really nice. And I've sewn a couple things on there, but I'm not like trusted alone with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good so, no, way I really, of saying that. <laughs> yeah. I really want to, but we're like, we're so busy that it's like, okay, well down the line, you can learn how to sew, but it's not like you're not getting behind this machine and right. doing this, but right. Well, what, what excites you most about the future of this space, about rugged thread, about the, where you're going? I mean, definitely the training program sounds like a huge opportunity, um, in the future. What, what else excites you about this space? Yeah. Training programs, exciting for sure. Cause that's something that I think can become really a, a national program. Um, I also think the, um, this, I guess the circularity of the outdoor industry is really exciting to me in the sense that, um, more and more brands are looking to that. And I think in a meaningful way, so that's inspiring to me that like individuals and brands are really looking for meaningful solutions at least with people that I talk to, it seems like it's not a greenwashing. You know, people are like, yeah. you know, even, even if this is going to cost us money, which it usually doesn't, um, they are committed to any kind of solution that's going to actually make an impact. So that's inspiring to me. Um, I guess for us internally, we, since like our growth is inspired, like is exciting to me because the more that we grow, the bigger impact we can have. So to date, we've kept over 30,000 pounds out of the landfill. Wow. And then by 2024, our plan is to be keeping 30,000 pounds every single year out wow. of the landfill. Wow. That's huge. So that's exciting. Um, and I think more collaboration, you know, as repairs become a more widely known and accepted part of the outdoor industry, I think that the collaboration and more solutions are going to become 
uh, more widely available because, right. you know, beyond just like the actual repairing of product, there's a lot of other things that go into it. Like there's no really IT systems that are designed for repair facilities. Right. Um, so we're kind of developing our own software currently to be able to track data and track time studies and um, collect all that kind of data. New machines, you know, machines are designed for production sewing. So right. like maybe we'll start to design new machines, all that kind of stuff, I think is the next phase and we're not quite there, but that's really exciting to me because it's definitely coming. Right. No, that's awesome. Um, what else did we miss? I feel like we talked, we talked, you know, yeah, we macro level, we talked micro, like we, we covered a lot of bases, but, but um, I, I guess advice for a student, you know, oh, who's yeah. whether our students or others who are listening, like, if you want to get into repair and get into this space, which you and I both believe is a growing industry, there's going to be positions um, in this space. Um, or even if you're doing it just, you know, on your own for your own product, like how would you recommend people start? Yeah. Um, I think just getting on a machine is a really good way to start to get familiar with a machine. If you don't already, you know, have, or use a home sewing machine, or even with your program an industrial sewing machine, um, it's just a great way to start de- like deconstruct product and put it back together and see how it's built, see how it's designed. And you'll get so much insight into different products, um, just from different brands, how they're built. And I think another thing is like to, just notice what you're really interested in and have a, have a a meaning behind it. Like, I think we've created a lot of meaningless jobs in the modern world. And so there are a lot of opportunities as the outdoor industry changes and as business as usual changes that I think there are going to be positions and there already are positions that align with meaning and with value um, and creating a better world. So I would say just like, hang on to that and keep, you know, keep that feeling and that excitement. Um, and whether that's specifically repair or that's, you know, design or whatever that is, I think there's, there's ways that you can stay inspired and bring that into your day-to-day job to help, help make that happen. I love that. I love that. That's great. Um, I guess, uh, maybe a last question for you. Um, I think this, the, the question, the answer you just gave would have been a great place to end, but I have this other question for you instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like in your role in business development, I'm curious, like who do you talk with within a company? I'm sure it's different company to company, but who is usually the decision maker over whether a company engages in a repair program or not? Is that the VP of product mm. or whoever that is, the design director? Does it fall under more customer service, warranty repair? Like who are you engaging with? It's probably a lot of different people. It is a lot of different people. I've been surprised by that. I, I keep thinking it's going to be like the same role, but it's very rarely the same same role across companies. Um, I would say if it's a smaller company, it's either the CEO or the like operations director. Um, sometimes I'll work with like the global quality manager for a company if um, if they're a global company. Um, who else? Customer service is a place where I've usually like started working with the, um, customer experience lead. And then that will kind of turn into a conversation with maybe the product manager or the operations or logistics, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, kind of across the board, which is interesting. That is interesting. It kind of goes to show that I don't think the industry (laughs) recognizes like where repair should fall. I don't know if there's a should, like, I think it could fit in a lot of different places, but 
seems like the industry, there's opportunity for like those different roles to own repair and say, well, this, this is something that falls under us. It's part of my job description that we're responsible for repair. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we're at that place yet. Yeah, and we're starting so. to get yeah. there, but. And it's interesting too, because even companies that have like maybe a sustainability director, that's mm-hmm. usually like the third person I'll talk to. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's really interesting. Okay, so for I'm curious, um, like for B te- or uh, B Corp certification, yeah. does repair something that falls under like any industry certifications that you're aware of? Like for brands to help yeah. them. Get, yeah. Um, it is well, I think so. I know that the Higgs index does take that into account. Right. So if you have a repair program, you gain points, and then you gain extra points if you design for repairability. So oh, they're on interesting. Higgs under under Hig. Yep. Okay. Oh, that's and interesting. I, I am pretty sure that there's something in B Corp. I'm not quite sure what it is, but there is something of like product lifespan. And so right. repairs fall into your like full product lifespan. Right. Okay. Oh, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. So there added incentive, right? It's like if, <laughs> yeah. if you're working towards those goals of, of yeah. some type of external certification, like I, that, that makes sense to you know have a handle on your repair program. So totally. that's and great. The last thing I'll say on that is like, as a brand, like the outdoor industry is pretty competitive in selling product these days. So mm-hmm. it gives you an edge when I mean, we see all the time, people are stoked when the brand will cover their repair mm-hmm. or that is an option, you know, still giving the customer an option if they wanted it. Um, people get really excited. And so that's definitely gives you a leg up as a brand. Well, that's, that's definitely going to become the expectation, right? It's like lifetime <laughs> oh. repair. That's like the expectation. I'm going to buy is. this product and, and mm-hmm. you better repair it. I think that is going to become an expectation. I, there's one, one of our students, again, I, I mentioned her earlier, but she's just started upcycling products and just one off. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did a big sale, you know, of, of a few of the products that, that she made and, but she's like offering free repairs for the life of, well, just like for yeah. life. And it's just like these one-offs that she's made. And, and so if anyone wants their product repaired that they bought from her, she'll, she'll do it for them, which is like awesome. on a very small scale. What we're also seeing brands start to get into is repairs out of warranty. And that's mm. wild. And it's usually, it's usually not like, oh, we'll pay for lifetime repairs because that gets really expensive. Sure. Um, but we are seeing brands say, hey, like we care about our product and you as a customer no matter if it's not covered under warranty or you ripped your own jacket tree skiing, we'll cover a portion of that repair, a certain percentage mm-hmm. of the cap, or maybe we'll pay for shipping. Um, so that's another really cool thing. That-, that That is really interesting because you're right. Like lifetime repair, not everyone can do that because that can add up. Right? <laughs> but um, it's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're someone, you know, if you're a smaller operation like that, I, I think she'll be able to do that um, totally. with her products, but um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So again, like, I think this is so early stage. There's so much opportunity. There's um, I, I, there's so much infrastructure that's getting built out right now and new processes mm-hmm. and positions. And yeah. um, I think, I think it's a really exciting time to be in this space. So um, any parting thoughts, anything we missed? I think we covered a lot of, a lot of things. Um, I guess the only other thing I'd say is if you have any, any students, any listeners that are, you know, want to reach out, feel free to reach out and just chat. Even if it's about the specific, you know, a specific repair, if you're trying to do your own repair or it's about industry in general or potential career, anything, just, you want to chat, you want to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. That's awesome. How's the best way to stay in touch with you as well as the company? Um, We, can you can let's see what is the best way? <laughs> um, 
you can go to our website, ruggedthread.com. And we've got our email on there. It's info at ruggedthread.com. Um, and I regularly check that as does the owner, Kim. And so both of us, we talk every single day. We're in contact a lot. So we'll get both of, we'll get those emails um, and reach back out to you that way. And you're on Instagram too. We are on Instagram. I know, yep. I know for a lot of our design students, that's where they find design inspiration. So just rugged thread. Yep. And then for, for you, LinkedIn, is that the best place if they want to connect with yep. you? That sounds great. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, Josie, thanks for taking the time. This is awesome. If we ever want to do a repairs part two, we can do that too. (laughs) There's so much more to talk about. So love it. always happy to jump jump on again in the future. So yeah, this was great to have this conversation and um, thanks so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.